title of our message today is a look at worship. We're going to go through eight little verses, and it's a wonder how I will be able to talk for two hours on eight little verses, but watch. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It might be an hour and a half. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, just for uh, these who have assembled themselves together here, Father, to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that as your word goes out, Lord, we know that you won't disappoint. And so, Father, lead us, guide us into all truth as we look to you. We offer this time up to you. We pray, Father, that you would give your church ears to hear, eyes to see what your spirit is saying. So bless this time that we have together. We offer it up to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're going through the book of Revelation. We've started at one and there were some things I wanted to read you. If you want to cheat with me, let's let's make a left and go to Revelation chapter one. I want to encourage you guys. Revelation chapter one, verse one in the book of Revelation, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant, John. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ, I was encouraged last week because as we're going through this, I look at some of it and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm just so like, whoa, how is this going to happen? How is, how is the Antichrist going to set it up and, and how are people going to be deceived, but yet this angel's flying around and sharing the eternal gospel, the everlasting gospel, and, and his two witnesses are going to be killed and they're going to be in the street lying dead and people are going to give gifts to one another and just all of this stuff that we're studying. And I think, well, Lord, it's just, I don't get it all. And I had a brother last week who came up to me and he said, <clears throat> you know, Johnny, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't think we're supposed to get it all. I don't think we're supposed to understand every nuance of how in the future all of this stuff is going to take place. We, we get what the Lord gives us. We take it in. We, we study and we you know, compare scripture with scripture so that we can learn what it is we need to learn. He goes, but remember the title of the, the, the book. It, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we're seeing is <clears throat> that word revelation means the unveiling the apocalypse, the, the, the opening up of our eyes to who Jesus is. And I got to be honest with you, as we're going through Revelation, I'm seeing Jesus in a whole new light. I'm definitely seeing him revealed, the unveiling of Jesus Christ while Jesus is coming to judge the world. So I definitely see that, and that's what this book is. It's the Revelation. Notice verse 3 in Revelation chapter 1. It says, blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it for the time is near. And so there's a blessing for those who read the book of Revelation. For those who hear the revelation, you're hearing as I have an opportunity to read it. So you're blessed with me as you read it. You're blessed as you hear it. But more importantly, those who keep the things that are in this book. And so we don't just want to read and hear. Read and hear. Yeah, we want to keep. We want to obey the things that the Lord is showing us in the book of Revelation. And so as we're going week by week, I just pray, Lord, give me application. Give me the, 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 the points, the bullets here where we can make sure that we're applying the word. So we know as Christians, we won't be here in the tribulation period. 
The Lord will take us. We are not appointed to wrath, Peter says. And so that's a blessing. But nonetheless, the application oftentimes is that we would share with others, that we would get the word out, that we would let them know that God loves them and that God has a plan for them. So as we go through, we see that there's a blessing. Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse, where did it go? 19, there's a divine outline. Notice with me, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. It's the only book in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. So Jesus is telling John, write the things which you have seen. Chapter 1, the vision of Jesus Christ. And the things which are right now existing on the world, the seven churches of chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then the things which will take place after this, the Greek word, metatauta, In chapter 4, we see that Greek word, metatauta, mentioned twice. After this, there was a door that was opened in heaven, and John was catapulted up into heaven. And that's what we're studying now, the third section of this book of Revelation, the things that will take place after the church age, after the church is taken to heaven, and what we call the rapture of the church, or the snatching is the the word uh, in the Greek. Okay? So we go through and we've been going through and we've seen judgment. We've seen seven seal judgments. We've seen seven trumpet judgments. And then there's this interlude. And we've been in this interlude for a couple of chapters. And this is the last chapter of the interlude before the last of the judgments. We find ourselves midway in the tribulation period. So we're three and a half years into this seven-year period where God's wrath or his judgment is being poured out upon the world. Antichrist has come into the temple at this point. He has set himself up. And what Daniel referred to as the abomination of desolation has already taken place. Where Antichrist has come and he brought a false peace to the world. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. But now his true colors are being seen for what they are. He wants to be worshipped. He's always wanted to be worshipped. And so he comes in the temple, he sets himself up, and the nation of Israel sees it for what it is, and then we're going to see the great tribulation, or the last three and a half years, starting next week in verse 16 and on, but right now we're at 15, we're still in the interlude, and it's prior to, we're at the halfway point, but it's a parenthetical chapter is what they call it. So that's where we find ourselves, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, then I saw... Another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So we may ask, why is God angry? Why is the wrath of God having to be complete? What happened? Well, Romans chapter 1 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, there are people that intuitively through their conscience know, everybody knows that there is a God. There is a creator. And also through the witness of creation, Romans chapter 2 would tell us, through just seeing creation, seeing oceans and skies and clouds and mountains and and trees and just the beauty of the animal kingdom 
through the, the sea life and all these sea creatures, you just look and you think, wow, this is spectacular. This is incredible. Where did this come from? Somebody's handiwork had to put this together. Creation is screaming creator. Our conscience is witness that there is a God. And so there are individuals, Romans chapter 1, again, verse 18 says, there are individuals in the world who are suppressing or pushing down the truth. They don't want to believe it. For whatever reason, maybe they want to be the God of their own life. Maybe they want to call the shots. Maybe they don't want somebody telling them how to live or what to do. And so they, the Bible says they suppress the truth and it leaks out in unrighteousness, sin against man. And it leaks out in ungodliness, sin against God. And so in that, God's wrath, his judgment is poured out because the incredible thing about this awesome God, the creator of the universe is he gives us what we want. God will give us what we want. God will reveal himself to us. He will draw us and woo us but he will not force us. And so as we participate and as we cooperate with the work of God and we allow him to continue to have access, as we respond, he continues to open up and show us more and more. And it's an incredible thing. But if we say no to God, no, I don't want you. I don't want want to do what what your Bible says. I don't believe it. I don't believe that it's real. I want to do my own thing. Then God says, okay, I'll respect you. I have given humanity dignity in that I've given them a free will. And if they choose against me, I won't force them. And so to those people, they are fighting God, the very conscience that God gave them, the very witness of creation that they see and they know, they're fighting God and says, if, if that's what you want, if that's what you truly want, then I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that. If you don't want me, if you don't want my intervention, if you don't want my love to lead and guide you in life, I'm not going to force you. And so that's what is taking place. Now, this, then I saw another sign. It refers back to chapter 12. Go ahead and turn back to chapter 12. Hold uh, 15, of course, we'll come back there. But notice verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. When we studied that, we realized that that was none other than who? The nation of Israel, who gave birth to the Messiah. Very important to know that and understand that that's the woman that is referred to here. But notice, it's a great sign appeared in heaven. And then notice uh, verse 3, two things. And another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Well, as we studied that, we saw that later it shows that this is obviously a clear reference to Satan. And so you had two great things there in chapter 12. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I saw another sign, another of the same kind. There's another great sign that he sees. I find this interesting verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Let me read it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. The Bible says, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now what that verse is saying is, 
Because God doesn't shoot lightning bolts immediately when we do bad things, when we fall far from God's will in our lives. He doesn't judge us immediately. Peoples whose heart is hard and wicked, they're thinking they're getting away with something. And so it, it almost causes them to think, well, you know, well, I'm going to, I don't know if you've ever shared with somebody, this is a true story, I've, I've seen people, you're sharing Jesus with them. All right, then, if, if God is real, then, all right, I curse you, God, and if you're real, why don't you just have this building fall on me? And I'm like, I got to get out of here, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, that's, I'm, but, but the building doesn't fall on them when they curse God and shake their fists at him immediately, does it? And people who have a hard heart, that solidifies and continues to build calluses on their heart. So for us, do we have a tender heart or a hard heart? Do we think that because our sin wasn't immediately dealt with, we're getting away with something? Or do we recognize that what that time in between judgment and the act is actually called grace? It's God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. And all along that process, there should be conviction. There should be a, oh, Lord, boy, wow. Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And as we turn to the Lord, forgiveness is granted. Forgiveness is is offered and definitely extended to us. So we don't want to be in that camp to think that we're getting away with something. To think that because the sentence against an evil work isn't executed speedily, we don't want to be in that camp. We need to be careful, okay? Moving on in uh, Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over the image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And so there's this multitude that have overcome all of the diabolical schemes of Satan. There's a multitude, a number that can't even be counted, who have not been bamboozled by the subtlety, the craftiness, and again, the diabolical schemes of Satan. And I believe that that's true here in Revelation, but I also believe that that's true in our lives if we look to the Lord. The Lord wants to shed light on darkness if we allow him, if we're desiring. Again, he's not a a God that is going to force his love upon us. So if we would be open to receive that light, as crafty and subtle and diabolical as Satan is, those who look to the Lord will overcome him in the tribulation, and I believe now as well. Verse 3. They sing the song of Moses. We read that in our time of responsive reading in Exodus chapter 15. The song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now, when God gave Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle and the holy of holies and all of these things that he was to build on earth in the wilderness, they were 
types of or pictures of that which was already built in heaven. And so we see this temple in heaven and we see this holy of holies in heaven. And we see in verse five again, it says the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Verse six, and out of the temple came seven, the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And as I was reading through this week and just studying and even just this morning, I just came to me that, man, this is... Serious business for God. That for three and a half years as these last seven judgments, these bowl judgments, they're called vile judgments. Vase, bowl. So these, this angel takes these seven and he gives them one to each angel and the angel is going to pour them out as we're going to see next time in chapter 16. We'll, we'll take a look at that next week. But I just see the seriousness of it where All of this activity is taking place in heaven. God has angels around the throne. God has individuals that are worshiping and and just adoration taking place. But it's like, you know what? This is so sobering, so serious. It's almost like temple shut. I don't want anything in my presence during this time. This is serious stuff. And and I just see the sobriety uh, of it all as I look. God's not happy with the judgment. God's not sadistic, wanting to see people suffer through this. But at what point would his love not be love if he doesn't intervene? If you listen to the news, if you watch what's going on in the world, the evil, the atrocities, the high-handed sin to God, the, the human trafficking that is taking place, just the evil, the wickedness, There was a couple that I heard about who took their baby. They slit their baby in half. They gutted their baby. They filled it with cocaine, bags of cocaine. They sewed it back up, jumped on an airplane, and tried to bring drugs into the United States in that manner. That is tiny on the scale of what God sees on a daily basis. At what point is, is it just wrong if God doesn't intervene and say, it's enough. That's, that's enough. I have to stop this. I have to intervene. I have to bring forth judgment to this world because if it goes on and on and continues on in this manner, it would be evil on God's part to not judge sin. And so it's horrific. And God is saying, not even in the temple will there be sounds, but it will be closed during this time. Now, as we were just, as I was reading this week and I was going through this, I noticed these harps and I noticed there was a song of Moses and a song of the lamb and and nothing I read led me to just consider this because I have different commentaries that I read as I study throughout the week. And as I looked at it, I was like, well, what is worship? Why worship? 
And how do we worship? And I've mentioned to you before that I can't tell you how to worship. That, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be right for a person to tell another person, well, this is how you worship. But we can definitely go to the Word of God and we can see individuals that have had contact with God, who have been close to God, who have been used dramatically by God. And then we can learn from them maybe insight into, well, this is what worship looks like or this is why we worship or this is what we should be doing in the midst of worship. Okay. I was thinking of Moses. Moses' appearance changed as he spent time in the presence of the Lord. Think about that. Moses would have these different encounters. Moses was the, um, the leader of God that would bring the children of Israel out of bondage and into, well, at least to the doors of the promised land, right? Because he misrepresented God and he didn't get to go into the promised land. But and then, by God's grace, the Mount of Transfiguration, he came into the promised land. He saw Jesus face to face. But, but nonetheless, he had a pretty different relationship with God. And as I look at this different relationship with God, was it God that was different or was it Moses that was different? And, and we know that God is unchanging and the unchangeable one, right? The Bible declares that God is not a respecter of persons. So if Moses had his countenance changed when he came into the presence of God, can we? Can we then have our countenance change? Can we glow? He had to put a veil over his face when he would come down after he was talking with God. He'd put a veil because the people were like, dude, I'm freaking out, dude. You're lighting up. I don't know where to stare. I'm just saying. It's dripping me out. You just came down and it's spooking me. And so he had to put a veil that would cover this, this shiningness of being in the presence of the Lord. And just think about that and how awesome that is. Elisha saw more than the average person was able to see. Remember, the, the, the nation, and, and they're going to come down, and the king is going to wipe them all out, and he brings his, little, brings his little servant, right? And the servant's like, dude, we are so outnumbered. I'm just saying it's going down, and I am freaking out. And Elijah says, Lord, 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 do me a favor. Just peel the curtain so that he can see what I see. And God peels the curtain and the servant is able to see, whoa, chariots of fire and all of these 